How's your day going so far? <laughs> Day's going great. Uh, I actually been practicing a little bit this morning. Um, we're uh, starting to gear up for the the uh, live shows coming later in the year. So just been working on that this morning. Before we continue, though, I have to say thank you so much for your uh, review for the write up you did about the album. I it was really over the top. I mean, we really appreciate it. It was really very, very nice of you. I really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure, generally. Thanks. How about you, Douglas? Um, how's your day going? I can't complain. Uh, you know, the weather in New York has been very uh, bizarre in the past few weeks. Like last <laughs> week, we had a tiny bit of snow. Uh, and I say a tiny bit because it was nothing compared to what a New York winter used to be like. And uh, now it's it's officially spring and it's starting to feel like spring. So yeah, no complaints. That's all we can hope for. No complaints. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> yeah. It's been literally five days as of the time of recording since the release of Waves of Loss and Power. Overall, we're talking about not just critical reactions, but also the fans' reactions. How have you found it so far? Well, I can tell you um, from a social media perspective, uh, there's been a lot of outreach going back to May of last year when the signing announcement was made with Sensory Records. And, you know, our drummer, Halaponte had a Facebook uh, page for the band going even during times when the band wasn't active. And so there's there's always been a certain amount of people that have stayed in touch. But now the reaction leading up to the album, you know, as we released uh, a previous single and then an official audio release. And now, now the album's out there to the world. Everyone's got it. It's just overwhelmingly positive. I mean, the excitement of fans that have stuck with the band that, you know, have been pining for something and wishing for something. And now here it is. It's, you know, it's just over the top. I mean, like you couldn't ask for a better reaction and response from everyone. Yeah. I mean, we're really overwhelmed with the response. Uh, it's been really exciting and all positive. And, um, you know, back in the day when we released the first couple of albums, it was much harder to gauge the reaction because, you know, uh, of the lack of social media. And it was just a different world 20, 25 years ago, you know. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, now you get the instantaneous reactions and reviews and uh, comments from people. And it's just so gratifying to know that the, that the fans are out there and they've stuck with us for so long. And, you know, we, we haven't given them anything in, in so long. And uh, <laughs> the excitement is just overwhelming. It's very it's very gratifying. Yeah, I'd agree with you guys. I've looked into it, uh, done some deep dives into your social media and across all your older platforms, really, where anybody can comment. And the reaction has been incredibly positive, but rightfully so. It is a brilliant piece of work. Yeah. And this comes from a guy. Oh, I'll give you my age. I'm nearly 38, so I am of a certain age. But have you noticed that not, it's not just uh, fans that have been along for the ride with you, but younger minds are being captured, too? I haven't really <clears throat> had a chance to look at the analytics of that as far as, um, you know, age and location, but I mean, that's great to hear. You know, obviously we know that, as you said, 
this style of music definitely appeals to a, a typically, you know, a, a certain age group and a certain uh, a bunch of people that love progressive rock. But you know, there is, like I said, there there's there are new generations that are experiencing it, and there's a whole new wave of of bands that are out there, you know, continuing to do progressive and, and add their own contemporary spin on it. So I'm just happy that, you know, people care about a band that's playing and singing for real and, you know, putting in, uh, you know, the 10,000 plus hours that it takes to, to get there to be able to do it. Because obviously technology is on the side of the musician, uh, not always in a positive way in that, um, you know, with the first time I ever did a studio recording, it was on tape and there was no punching, right? It's like, you've got to be able to get through the song from the beginning to the end and hopefully not make any mistakes. And if you do, it's like, all right, start again. And I've, even with the tools that we have, I challenge myself to do as little fixing or punching as possible. Like I feel dedicated to the idea that like, I I want to do it for real. Yeah, we're kind of old school that way. I mean, I agree, you know, <laughs> you want to be able to really execute the parts without too much uh, technical assistance. But as far as, I mean, regarding your question, I mean, I think I have sensed that there's, there's a little bit of a, a, a younger demographic than I expected responding to the material. And I think that's because I think that the band always had the potential to reach uh, more of a quote unquote crossover audience, because in addition to the the progressive format that we that we exist within, we always try to make sure that the vocals are memorable and catchy mm. and we have hooks musically and vocally. And uh, we we always try and exist within a format of a song, even though obviously some of the songs are very long. We try to make things as memorable uh, as possible. So hopefully that has some appeal for a little bit of a of a younger generation as well. Yeah, and as you said, it's such early days. It's not even a week out um, out in the world yet. This is I feel like this is the sort of metric you can judge better in six to twelve months' time, and then have a much clearer view. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see for sure. Well, take me back then to the early days of, of its creation, in particular, a vision, your vision. Um, did you have a clear idea of what you wanted to do with Waves of Loss and Power? Go ahead, Doug. Um, Well, what we knew early on was, uh, as we started the writing process, there were two, what became the really big pro what we're calling the Prague epics on this album. So Perpetual Child Part Two, which wasn't originally intended to be, you know, a quote unquote sequel, but it just, you know, Josh could talk about how how that ended up uh becoming such as it as it is. But um it it we got really serious about the writing and when we say we never set out to write something and say okay this is going to be somewhere between 10 and 15 minutes long it doesn't go that way with ice age we write and we we follow our our creative muse and then if if it happens 
to be seven minutes or 11 minutes or four minutes, whatever it is, whatever it is to make this, the artistic statement, mm. that's, that's the path that we follow. So we had Perpetual Child, which was, you know, the first thing that we ended up writing together for this album. And then also uh, to say goodbye, um, which again, you know, when you, when you combine parts four and five, you're talking about 17 minutes of, of that suite. And uh, those, you know, so it's, I kind of feel like we swung for the fences with the most epic prog pieces right out of the box. And, you know, from that point, I think the vision was anything else that we do that's going to be on this album has to match the quality of what we're producing right now with these. And it's got to sound like Ice Age and it's got to meet that standard. Uh, you know, we all hold ourselves individually and collectively to a very high standard of, you know, like Josh said, it has to be memorable. Uh, you know, it's got to make sense and it, it's got to hang together where it sounds like us. And, and that's, you know, when you talk about the core three, Josh uh, and Halaponte, who I mentioned, and Jimmy Pappas, the guitarist, who's like the architect of all of these amazing riffs that you're hearing on on this new music. And, and always you look back at the Great Divide and, and Liberation. Um, with those three core guys, you put them in a room and you and they have instruments in hand. That's what it sounds like. Like there's nothing contrived about it. It is just naturally and organically, you know, they start playing together and it's Ice Age. That's just what it is. And that's why I think that it it was it was natural that in trying to, you know, write together again, there was nothing forced about it. Yeah, well, let me <clears throat> Doug's very humble. I have to add that he is, of course part of the core having been playing with us for 22 years now like it's an essential part of the core I don't know um I think um like Doug said I mean we, when we first started writing it wasn't really with the intention of necessarily doing another album we just we hadn't written together in so long that we just it just came together Jim literally came in with a riff and we just started working on it and building it up and uh, that original that um, uh, worked its way into becoming a perpetual perpetual child part two. That wasn't the intention uh, at the beginning, but musically there were some similarities. And I started to think about how we could expand the ideas into sort of being a continuation musically and thematically of that song. And uh, also, as Doug said, we um, I had some some piano parts uh, which I did intend to be a continuation of the "To Say Goodbye" suite from the first two albums. Uh, so we, we worked those up and then, um, uh, you know, the creativity was, was really flowing and, and uh, we've always had that musical chemistry and it just, it always seems to work well. You know, Jim will uh, play a heavy riff and uh, Doug will have a bass line and Hal will have the perfect beat for it and I'll, you know, figure out what to do with it. And it, it just, it always worked well. And, uh, mm. um, but there was no, as as Doug said, it was very organic. It wasn't, there wasn't any particular plan of what kind of music was going to be on the album when we decided we were going to do another album, you know, heavy, soft, in between. It, it all just sort of flowed and, and came together naturally. 
But there must have been a specific point when you realized, when you particularly got there and thought, okay, this is now taking shape. Now we understand. Now we are looking at potentially a track listing, a number of tracks, a number of ideas. Do you remember that specific point or what that was? What that was? Yeah, I think. Um, well, we had um, we had put together uh, demo versions of the, uh, as I said, Perpetual Trial Part Two and Sega by Part Five, um, and sent those around to see if there might be any interest. Um, uh, in, in, in putting out another album. And um, uh, at that point, uh, when Ken Golden from Sensory contacted us and said he would like us to do an album with him, um, <clears throat> you know, we, um, we, we already had been working on uh, some other parts that we had been uh, sort of thinking about. And, mm -hmm. you know, the light bulb sort of went on, I think, um, when we realized... Uh, how pleased we were with the first two pieces. Um, uh, I think we, um, that's when we started to get more calculated about, well, you know, I wanted to do, for example, River Flow, the song River Flow uh, is almost an intentional Genesis homage uh, in some of it there. Um, and um, there are some other, uh, you know, that part of Needle's Eye is a, is a clear Black Sabbath homage. I mean, I, you know, the wheels started turning once we realized we were really gonna do an album. Uh, sort of the points we wanted to hit, the influences we, we wanted to uh, make clear to people, you know. So I think once we realized that we were going to have the opportunity to do another album, that's when it sort of came together. Did you find that you struggled early on to balance what Ice Age was once, 20 plus years ago, but also your own development as musicians over that period of time, but and the shift in music uh, in general over the past few decades? So I can speak to that. Um, I think that if anything, we, I won't say consciously, but I would say more of, of a collective, a, a collective unspoken agreement. There was a need to be oblivious to that. And, and, and so, um, We've experimented in the early 2000s with the idea of trying to go in a different direction and be contemporary and be something different than what Ice Age is. And mm. that wasn't the true authentic nature of this band and this collective. Uh, and that's why, you know, that when I, it was so natural for us to just, when we started writing those, those two songs like Josh mentioned, we weren't thinking about an album. We weren't thinking about, oh, okay, these are the first two songs that are gonna be an album. We were just thinking, we haven't written together in over a decade. We're enjoying this experience. We're creating something that sounds uh, as good as, if not better than we've ever done. Let's just keep going. And you know, Hal actually had the idea of maybe just creating a couple of demo versions of new songs and just giving them away to, to the fans as a thank you. And so again, like there was nothing um, specific that was business minded uh, or, you know, serious on the level of doing, you know, the kind of recording and mixing and mastering that we did. You know, it was just, we love writing together. We love creating and uh, I, I think that we knew that we weren't going to try to sound like periphery mm -hmm. uh, or, 
you know, any of the more contemporary uh, prog bands out there. And I mean, certainly, you know, I, I have, you know, my day job um, when I joined the band was working for a company called Muse. So I was in the media information business for music and other entertainment products. So I've always had a foot in the music business and I've always paid a lot of attention to what's happening. And, and all of us don't just listen to prod. If anything, I think some of us um, spend a lot of our listening time listening to anything but. Um, so there's a, there is really um, a sonic stew of influences that come into who we are and what we do. And when you hear everyone's individual playing, you know, you've got Jimmy that comes very much from a rainbow, uh, Black Sabbath kind of place, uh, you know, and as much as Hal is probably the biggest Rush fan in the band, you know, he's probably arguably, arguably not less of a Rush fan than Josh is, and I'm a huge Rush fan. And so obviously you're gonna, there's gonna be pieces of that and, and flavors that come in but you know Hal, you know, you know, as technical as Hal is, he also has a very, uh, you know, there's a heavy rock thing there, and there's a funk thing in there. You know, I love uh, R&B and funk and Motown, um, and, and you know, and Josh has a whole classical music background from before he ever got into rock. So you know, you've got all of this coming in, but none of it was okay. We have to sound like old school that we have to mm -hmm. sound like old school. It was like, no, screw all that. Set all that aside. Who are we? What do we sound like when we get in a room? And we just let that happen. And that's what you have. Yeah, it was a very organic process. It really was. I mean, there was no calculation. We we were just so hungry to write and be creative together because it's such a it's such a unique experience for all of us. We get such joy out of it. Um, and yeah, of course, you know, as you mentioned, I mean, the, the passing of years and life experience and all those things and, and, and the, the change in the way we play, all of that sort of came together in the stew. And it just, it, it just, you know, it, it really is a magical process when the four of us in the, in the room together uh, playing, we get, we get a lot of joy out of it. And I think, I think that comes across on uh, Waves of Loss and Power. Did you find you ended up putting some limitations on your own level of experimentation and creativity when it came to fully deciding that it was going to be an album? Um, E.g., did a lot of things end up on the cutting room floor? Um, we, uh, yeah, there, there's a good amount of material that, um, <clears throat> and not because we didn't think it was up to standard. I mean, we just hadn't worked it up enough, mm. you know, I mean, you know, when you when you realize you've got to deliver an album within a certain time frame, you've got to make these difficult decisions. You know, yeah. I mean, songs are like kids, right? You you love them all, and you know they're all different and so forth. So yeah, the, we have material uh, that's that's sort of half worked up, still percolating, and we'll in the very near future get back to working on that stuff. But yeah, those decisions are hard. Um, mm. uh, but you you sort of have to say okay i love this piece but we're gonna we're gonna save this one and we're gonna save this one and we let's focus on x y and z and though yeah those are the decisions that go into uh, you know an album the first album we did great divide was was like 75 minutes you know i i just i you know that's a little excessive uh even an hour album these days is considered sort of long so we wanted to keep it within that range i think 
you're conscious of attention spans uh, these days. Have to be. Sure. Yeah, you have to be. I mean, listen, we live, you know, you've got the TikTok attention span, you know, for, uh, you know, my, I have, my son is going to be 11, you know, and like, and that's, you know, when you think about like, you know, the, the limitations, I mean, like, well, I think when, uh, when Instagram first came out, the 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 length of of a video that could be posted was a lot shorter, and so yeah, I mean we have to be conscious of all of that, um, you know, when when we're trying to make the most of promoting this album across all those platforms. Yeah, it's bad enough some of the songs are fifteen minutes long, right? But you know, I mean that's a <laughs> that's a prog sin. There's no way around that. So. <clears throat> Yes, it's almost an expectation. And I'm glad you kind of segued yourselves into social media because this one is always one of my most fascinating questions to converse with such a wide array of bands from ages and locations to get their opinion on. So I'm fascinated to hear yours. A lot has changed in the industry since, I mean, go back to 2001's Liberation, for example. So the social media demand, the expectations of you always being online and delivering something obsessions with streaming numbers do you think you have got a good handle on this aspect i think we do um and you know we're we're handling all of that pretty much in-house at the moment um you know streaming numbers are are important but you know the the other thing is that the old school prog fan are still very much attached to physical product I know, you know, everyone in this band, um, aside from being a musician, we're all big fans and collectors of music. You know, we mm-hmm. love music. We love the bands that we love. And, you know, when if, if I follow somebody in their career, um, you know, take a band like Fate's Warning. You know, I mean, I, I own every one of their albums. And then when they put out an expanded edition, you know, when they put out the 40th anniversary rush expanded editions with the extra material i have to have that and i want that so yes streaming numbers are something that we look at and it's the first time that we're really in a position to even be considering that as a band because our stuff is everywhere that 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 it can be streamed um but you know we're we're still selling cds and we hope someday that vinyl could be something that Ice Age has out in the universe as well. I mean, I'm sure you've heard that statistically vinyl outsold uh, uh, compact discs in, in mm. 2022. So, um, you know, I, I love and I miss that experience of, you know, getting something on vinyl and reading the liner notes and appreciating all of the art in those dimensions and, you know, in that capacity. Um, but yeah, you know, was such a, sorry, go, go no, ahead. I was gonna say, that was such a big part of the experience. I mean, that's just our generation. You know, I remember, mm. you know, going to the record store and buying like, you know, say, you know, Russia's Grace Under Pressure and looking at the cover and holding it in my hand and ripping off the plastic and looking at the sleeve and the lyrics and all of that. It's such a, the tactile experience is such a, such a part of it. It was such a part of growing up, you know, and I think it's unfortunate that younger people miss that part of the experience it's sort of the 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 falling in love with the music and the band um uh it's uh 
the, the scattered focus these days makes that kind of experience much more much more difficult. And as you say, the, the, the generally shortened attention span that we all suffer from these days because of technology, you know. No, I, I completely understand. I, I don't do well at remembering artwork when I see it in the streaming, but I can still remember the very first single I ever picked up that was in a gatefold CD box and folded out to three panels. I can picture that in my head and I would have been 11 then. Right. <laughs> right. I remember the first CDs that I bought and they came in the uh, long boxes because, and the whole reason that they created the long box was because when you needed to rack the product, uh, because they didn't want to have to redesign all the racks in the record store, two long boxes side by side would fit where uh, a you know a vinyl album would fit. So and then you know so for the longest time they would do the long boxes, mm. and then eventually they redesigned the stores as things got away from vinyl and more to CD, and everything was racked for CDs. Yeah, and I think we all had a pile of those long boxes at some point. Oh, yeah. Like, that was like the album cover. You know, what do I do with this? I mean, yeah, I never yeah. wanted to get rid of those. Right, exactly. <laughs> because you know, there'd be elements of the artwork that you otherwise wouldn't get in this tiny CD booklet. But you know what? I what As much as it, it's, streaming is a blessing and a curse, one of the things that I think is cool about Spotify as an example is that you have this opportunity to do a, a you know a visualizer functionality where you can either have animation or you could actually have the music video uh, be part of the presentation mm. right within Spotify. So you know that is you know that that's a cool thing. Yeah, of course, there are positives to it. And ultimately as well, it's getting your music out quicker and faster to the whole world than that you could ever have imagined um, 20 plus years ago. Okay, guys, we reached part of the interview. That is the quick fire round. 10 questions randomly taken from a pool of 500. They can be serious. They can be nonsensical. Both take turns and having a go at them. Um, and yeah, we'll get started with this one. It's really straightforward. What is the best thing about being an ice age right now? The best thing about being an ice age? Well, I mean, there are so many. It's hard, it's hard to pick out one. The best thing about it is the ability uh to be creative, to express ourselves creatively, especially in middle age, uh, that is not something that everybody has the time to do. And so for me, that's the, that's the best thing. Okay, well, so for me, it's like the fact that, that I get to uh, be with Josh, Jimmy and Hal in this capacity, you know, we always remain friends. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and I mean, Hal always calls it a brotherhood, which it is. But, you know, after so many years of just being, you know, friends without the music, but now bringing the music back into it and the fact that we get to get in a room and play together, that's that's the, you know, that's the best part for me is that we, you know, it's like that's, you know, that's that's the time that's like the ultimate expression of of hanging out together uh, is that. 
So that's that's what it is for me. Let me just add a close second <laughs> is of course the overwhelming response that the, 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 the realizing again because of the existence of the internet and social media that the fans have been with you for so long and that they love the new material and all the, the excitement. I mean, that's, it's overwhelming. There is this wonderful air of positivity around Ice Age at the moment. Um, it's great to hear you feel that too. Number two, what is the last great book you read? I can answer that easily. So uh, I, not just great book, but it's the last book that I read. And I, I do read a lot. So uh, it's uh, uh, Leave the Gun, Take the Cannoli. Uh, it's it's uh, goes into the whole process of Mario Puzo, uh, you know, writing The Godfather, um, his whole career and what like a, a train wreck that he had made his life before he was able to sell that screenplay. So, you know, sell the rights for the screenplay and then get involved in, in the process. And it talks about the process of making uh, the Godfather movie. Um, and it's a, it's a really amazing story. I'm, I'm a huge movie buff. And, you know, The Godfather is my all-time favorite movie. So um, it's a great book. Godfather's up there for sure. Uh, for me, uh, as I was writing the lyrics for the album, uh, there were two books I wanted to read read uh because they relate to the the lyrical content uh they're both uh herman hesse books one is siddhartha and the other is steppenwolf uh they're all they're sort of diametrically opposed in their worldview one is very optimistic and one is sort of a more cynical pessimistic view of things um and uh uh those it was really interesting not having really uh read them for a couple of decades to see how my perspective may have changed a little bit on them from when I originally read them uh, when I was in my 20s, for example. Um, but, uh, you know, without going into too much detail, Steppenwolf, for example, is uh, is uh, about a very sort of world-weary, middle-aged, pessimistic guy who's trying to learn how to laugh and enjoy himself again. Uh, and Siddhartha, of course, is about... Um, uh, the, you know, the young Buddha experiencing the world and love and all of these sorts of things. And basically at the end, he sits and he realizes that he all he needs really is to sit next to the river and listen to the river speaking to him. And that, of course, is, uh, you know, obviously a part of the song River Flow. Um, so, yeah, it was wonderful to read those books again. Which one? You've got to choose one. Oh, Steppenwolf. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I was waiting for it. I wanted to get there. All right, next one. What is a meal that you think you make better than anyone else in the band? Oh, I can answer that. Uh, it would be penny ala vodka. So I, I had a whole uh, time in my life, in my younger years, and, and when I was going to school, that I worked in pizzerias and Italian restaurants. So I had... Now, a few different people teach me how to make Italian food. So like there's a lot of different uh, Italian dishes I can make. And, you know, that one is probably at the top of the list. Uh, I am a pretty hopeless cook. I am hopelessly incompetent when it comes to cooking. Um, I would say I've tried to I've tried to cook 
fish in a sophisticated way. I like to have some mung chung, which is a uh, like a, a cold water South Pacific uh, fish. Uh, so I think I could pull that off better than anybody else in the band. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Name a movie soundtrack that you simply adore. Uh, so for me, I guess the first one that I really connected with was the John Williams score of the first Star Wars movie. That mm -hmm. like just blew me away. Um, yeah, that's the first soundtrack album I ever purchased. Oh, wow. Uh, there, there are so many. I was such a huge fan of soundtrack and film scores growing up. Um, I'll give you maybe a sort of obscure one. Uh, the 1976 remake of King Kong by John Barry. Oh, wow. That score uh, I fell in love with when the movie first came out. I think I was like you know, 10 years old or something like that, or a little younger than that. And uh, I actually just purchased it on CD a few weeks ago. I've been listening to it like crazy. So uh, that's a that's a strong one. Amazing. What's one thing you would like to see change in the music industry that you think could improve things for all bands? That's easy. So the compensation on streaming is there are so many zeros after the decimal point before you get to <laughs> a numeric value that means anything. And, you know, unfortunately, this even goes back to CDs. Mm. Um, the way that artists get compensated um, and the way that the industry um, treats artists um, in general, as far as, you know, uh, the, the whole concept of recoupment, which, you know, goes back decades in the business. I think that, that we as a society have devalued art, not just music, um, but all forms of art. Uh, and because we've made it so easy and because you've got now a couple of generations that assume they should be able to get it for free, Mm. Um, you know, that all started with Napster, uh, it's been devalued. So I think that what, what could change and what, what I would hope to change is that artists would get compensated more fairly for their work. My answer would be almost identical. I think they'll put it very well. I think the, the compensation model for musicians and artists in general uh, has to be changed. It has to be improved. Uh, you know, um, art is something that people take for granted, obviously because of the technology, it's, it's readily available and people don't even think about the energy and the effort and the, the years of practice and work that, that, that go into creating art. And art, it is devalued in our culture. Art is what gives us joy and, and sadness and everything in between and makes us think about the human condition and, uh, it, it's extremely important that those who create it should be compensated fairly for, for what they create. I think well, we could talk about this and go down a deep dive down this direction. Um, you know, as recent times, I'm sure you guys would have seen, obviously there's a bit of a pushback on merch cuts and venues and so on. And it's just, just keeps hammering away um, to the point where you're starting to wonder if anyone's ever going to be able to um, be inspired enough to make music going forward or art going forward. Okay, simpler this one. What's something that helps 
uh, you to de-stress and relax? So for me, actually cooking is one of those things, oh, you know, it's, it's a hobby that I've always had. Um, uh, that and yoga would be the, the two things. Yeah, I would say um, exercise, which I don't do as much as I should, but I, you know, I, I, I like to lift a little bit. That actually helps me sort of slow down my thinking and sort of focus on what I'm doing, which is difficult sometimes. And, you know, the other thing would be would be just playing, creating, just sitting and and you know noodling around on the piano is uh, is always my whole life something that uh, that helps me sort of relax and again get centered into myself and and put away the distractions of everyday life as much as it's possible. Yeah, there are a ton of distractions, even more these days than ever. So anything you can find uh, to do to help you just distress is important. We're at a pub, and I'm buying us around. What's your order? <laughs> uh, mine is, uh, would be a Macallan 18, which, <laughs> which is a pricey item, mm. but uh, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big uh, Macallan fan. Uh, well, as, I'm as buying, so it's okay. <laughs> All right, so for me, uh, it's probably going to be either Grolsch or chilled SoCo. Oh, wow. What is your favorite musical? Also easy for me. Uh, and a big musical fan, and, and that influence is, you can hear it pretty heavily if you listen for it in, <laughs> in the Ice Age music. Uh, I'm a big Sondheim guy, Sweeney Todd. Uh, it's my all-time favorite because not only because of the genius of the lyrics and the music, but also the darkness and the and the, the social commentary that's just mm. everywhere around. So that that's on the top of my list as far as musicals. Amazing. That's a great answer. Um, it's a, this this one's tougher for me because I've I've seen a lot uh, over the years, but um, I you know I coming back to like the first one that I was ever exposed to um, because I got to see it on television was West Side Story. I'd imagine that was a lot of people's first as well of a certain age, particularly because yeah. it was shown on yeah. TV. Yes. That's probably number two for me. West Side Story is, uh, yeah, know, that Bernstein and Sondheim combo is, you can't beat that. It's incredible. It's incredible. All right, penultimate one. What is a talent that you don't have, but you'd really like to have? I can't whistle. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. Uh, I'd like to be able to fix my car. <laughs> I, am, I am terrible with automotive mechanics. I I cannot absorb it. I've tried many times throughout my life. I, I just, I make a mess and I break things. And that is a talent I desperately wish I could... Uh, uh, achieve that's an amazing one absolutely all right last one then uh we're really looking ahead to 2023 really the latter part of it what's a realistic goal that you would like to achieve with ice age this year over the last nine months well that's an easy one to answer too because we are opening frog power usa in atlanta um in september and you know making uh, our return as a live band 
uh, you know, that's you know where a great deal of our focus is between now and then is is preparing for that and making sure that you know again with this incredible response for the album you know we want people to see that you know ice age always had a reputation and i'm saying before i was in the band of being an impeccable live band <coughs> and uh, that's the only way that we could present ourselves now yeah. we can't go out in any other iteration than to be that and I think the other half of the answer would be, uh, in addition to preparing for the live shows, um, uh, we want to get hard at work on uh, writing new material for the next uh, for the next album, because uh, that's where we're headed. Um, you know, and like I said, we we do have a lot of material that didn't make it onto Waves of Lost and Power, but uh, you know, we're we're pretty thrilled about all of it. And so that's in addition to preparing uh, preparing for live, we want to. Uh, I'd say get a good chunk of the next album written by the end of the year. That's fantastic. And um, I cannot wait to see what happens over the next nine months and further along, because it is, as we said, at the very start of this interview, been less than a week since Waves of Loss and Power has been released. But I do urge everybody to go check this out. It is a spectacular release. And I wish you all the success going forward, um, gentlemen. Thank you so much Thank for taking so much. the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Our pleasure. Thanks, Thanks for so much us. for having us. Thank you very much for watching. If you liked what you saw, please help us out by giving us a thumbs up and hitting that subscribe button. If you really liked what you saw, consider donating to keep the website and channel running by buying us a coffee via our coffee page or picking up some merch from our big cartel store. You can check us out on gbhbell.com as well as via our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as listen to our interviews via SoundCloud, Apple Music, and Spotify. Just search for GBHBL games, horror and heavy metal. What else is life for?